Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Darkness can be scary, can it? It can be overwhelming. It gives us a sense or a feeling of loss of control. But check this out. It only takes a little bit of light to dramatically change the situation. When we have light, our, our outlook changes. We feel strengthened. We can see where our next steps should be. Good morning. Brett's been away on vacation this past week, so it's my privilege and my pleasure to be here with you this morning as we start our new series, Light in the Darkness. We all experience darkness in our lives. And sometimes that is incredibly overwhelming. Today, right now, you might be experiencing the worst darkness of your life. But there is a light for our darkness. Here we are, seven weeks till Easter, and it turns out that while Jesus was on the cross, he said seven things. We're going to have to look in all four Gospels to find those seven statements, but together they provide the framework to find light in our darkness. Over these seven weeks, we're going to use this verse from Hebrews as our focal point. The author says we should fix our eyes on Jesus. That means Jesus can serve as a really good example for how to live our lives. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. So for all of the parts of my life that are out of balance, Jesus wants to show me how to live life a bit more perfect. And here is the part that blows my mind. Who for the joy set before him endured the physical and emotional abuse that Jesus endured are almost indescribable, and yet he endured all of that because he was focused on a joy, and that joy was you. You were the joy set before him. You are why he endured the cross. The author continues, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So where is Jesus right now? He is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father. And in another chapter of Hebrews, we learn that Jesus is sitting there making intercession on our behalf to God. Okay, intercession, churchy word. Let me translate it into uh, the other way the original Greek was intended. Jesus is pleading your case to God like a defense attorney. Let me, or Jesus is sitting there next to God right now saying, see what Jim's going through? I've been through that. Dad, we should help him. That's what he's doing right now. Let me show you that same verse out of the message version. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, but I love the way how it, it conveys the meaning here. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in. And this is the phrase that grabs me. Study how he did it. 
over the next seven weeks, we're going to study how Jesus did it. Why do we study it? Because he, Jesus, never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. So I'm hoping that I've got you on the edge of your seat. You're saying, Jim, what's the first lesson? Uh, What did Jesus have for us on the cross? I'm in a dark place. I want light in my darkness. I'm ready to study how he learned it. Great. Jesus was having a terrible day and had every right to be angry. But here's what he said. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We're going to move around to a bunch of places in your Bible this morning. So I don't blame you if you want to just keep yours open to this page, and and you can refer back to it. Jesus said, forgive them. It's important to note, this is the first thing Jesus said on the cross More importantly, it's the first thing he says you need to do when you're looking for light in your darkness. It's the first thing I need to do when I'm looking for light in my darkness. If I want to get out of the darkness, I need to start by releasing the hurt and the pain of every person who has done something wrong to me. Think of it this way. The hurt and pain are like weights we carry around in a pack. Every time somebody hurts you, another weight goes in the pack. If we want to lighten the load, we have to take the weights out. That's what forgiveness does. It takes the weights out of our pack. Doesn't matter who put the weight in your pack. It's heavy, and you don't want to be carrying it. Write it down in your notes this way. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Yes, it seems like there are people whose sole purpose is to ruin your life. It's like they have nothing better to do than to make you miserable. Do not speak up if they are sitting next to you. This is so important. Jesus even included it in how he instructed us to pray. We often call it the Lord's Prayer. And in there, he said, we are going to have to forgive often. In fact, Jesus said this also. Many will be offended. In the original Greek, the word was majority. The majority of us are going to be offended. We're going to be betrayed. We're going to be hurt. Isn't that the truth? Jesus also said this in Luke chapter 17. It is impossible that no offenses come, no matter how hard you try to live your life so that no one hurts you. It's going to happen. Offenses are going to come your way. Oh, great. Another opportunity for forgiveness. I'm mad and I don't want to forgive. We call that unforgiveness. But here's the unfortunate truth about unforgiveness. It doesn't destroy the person who hurts you. It destroys us. 
We think that holding on to unforgiveness um, will punish others. It doesn't. Growing up, I had a younger cousin, and one day she was so mad at her parents. She comes storming in. I'm so mad at you, I'm going to hold my breath until I die. Well, her parents were still sitting there when she woke up after she passed out and hit the floor. She didn't punish them at all. How about this? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Doesn't work that way. But don't we try it anyway? This is what Proverbs has to say. An offended brother is unyielding. When you get offended, when I get offended, we want to hold on to that hurt. And we say things like, I'm going to make him pay. Or, I wish Jesus would take her right now. Have you ever caught yourself saying something or doing something and afterwards say, where did that come from? That's not me. It could be a symptom of unforgiveness that you've been clinging on to that you've not dealt with appropriately, that's making you unyielding. It's us being stubborn. Proverbs goes on to say, and disputes are like the bars of a fortress, so I react by guarding my heart from the hurt. I'm not going to let anyone else get to it again. I'm going to put up these iron bars to protect myself. But here's the problem. Just because you build the jail doesn't mean you're not still captive in a cell. And when we do that, it doesn't let anybody else in. Even worse, it doesn't let God in. So if you want to find the light in your darkness, if you want to make sense out of the hurt that others do to you, Jesus has this advice before the lights go out, before you even get hurt. Here is the first thing Jesus would say, forgive everyone who is trying to ruin your life. You have to let it go. You have to. If there was ever someone who had a reason to hate people, it was Jesus. In the 12 hours leading up to his death, he experienced five different distinctive hurts. And I want you to write them down because maybe they resemble how you've been hurt too. The first is betrayal. One of Jesus' closest friends betrayed him. And I don't mean told a secret he wasn't supposed to share. Judas handed Jesus over to people he knew wanted to kill Jesus. Has that happened to you? Someone who you've really cared about turns on you? Have you poured into someone, gotten really close to them, and then were seriously let down? I would argue we don't really get hurt, deeply hurt, unless it's by someone we're close to. Those wounds hurt the most. And after that, 
Jesus was arrested and tried three times in one night. Oh, by the way, in those days, Roman and Jewish law said it was illegal to hold a trial at night. So, he is illegally tried three times that night. When we're betrayed, it puts a burden on us. It's like taking a weight and putting it in our pack. We end up carrying that weight everywhere we go. How about the second hurt that Jesus faced? False accusation. People got paid to go to his trial and make up things about him. Just a week earlier, those people were cheering as he entered town, and now they were making up lies about him. You and I would get serious emotional whiplash if that happened to us. But actually, doesn't that happen to us all the time? People get only part of the story or hear something out of context. Then they go to Facebook or Twitter and they share their interpretation of my reality. They get all upset about something I never said or never intended and they share it with the whole world. And even if I go back and work it out with you, Everyone else still thinks I'm a jerk because it's out there, damage done. And it's another weight that goes into our pack. You know what makes Jesus' experience that night even worse? None of his friends came to his side. None of them said, wait a minute, that's not how it went down. And that leads me to our third hurt, rejection. Rejection is a huge hurt in our current culture. Social media was originally developed to connect people, but as we have all discovered, it is a dangerously effective tool at rejecting people. There are unlike buttons. There are thumbs down emojis. We have the phrase, swipe left. For those of you not on a dating app, that means I reject dating you. Ouch. That phrase has now become something that we use even broader. If somebody says to you, I swipe left on your idea, they're saying I reject your idea. Another weight goes in our pack. So, before any of you start unfriending me on Facebook, let's take a look um, the next hurt. About nine in the morning, that next day, Jesus is crucified. He goes through this incredibly brutal event. Write this hurt down, abuse. In those days, criminals were flogged or they were crucified. Not both except Jesus. Flogging was an extremely painful torture that ripped the flesh from your back. Crucifixion was the most painful way they could think of to kill somebody. 
you're suffocating under your own weight. So you push up with your feet. But oh, there's a nail through those. You pull yourself up. But oh, there are nails through your wrists. We each experience abuse. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's emotional. But either way, another weight goes in the pack. And if all the physical abuse of crucifixion wasn't bad enough, people were stripped of all dignity. What do you mean, Jim? I mean that the condemned were placed on the cross naked. Hollywood doesn't show that. Renaissance painters didn't show that. The statues we buy, the jewelry we wear doesn't show that. But that was the reality. They did it so that victims not only felt pain, but they also felt humiliation. Humiliation is making you look inferior in other people's eyes. The way it's done today may look different than the way the Romans did it back then, but humiliation is still happening all the time. Someone bullies you. Someone belittles you publicly. Someone spreads a bad rumor about you. And it's one more weight into the pack. The Romans loved making sure that the people being executed experienced total humiliation. And Jesus went through all of that, not because he was helpless, not just because he wanted to forgive your sins. The Bible says he had to enter into every detail of human life so that when he came before God, remember, he sits at God's right hand, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help you and me. In other words, Jesus understands. There is nothing you can pray to Jesus, not a pain, a feeling, a hurt, a wound, that he doesn't say, yes. I get it. I totally understand. Jesus is ready to help when we feel trapped in the dark. But part of how he helps is showing us how to turn on the light. And step one is forgiveness. Here's the problem. Nothing inside of you is going to want to forgive. It will not happen on its own. Forgiveness has to be a deliberate action in your mind before you will feel it emotionally. Your emotions are going to want to retaliate. Peter wronged Jesus big time. Peter stood up and promised, Jesus, I will never leave your side. But when the crowd came to arrest Jesus, Peter bolted. Later that night, Peter had the opportunity to stand up for Jesus, but three times totally denied that he ever knew the man. But when Jesus came back to life, 
one of the first things he did was forgive Peter. So with that in mind, let's see what Peter has to say. Since Christ suffered while he was in his body, strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking Christ had. As I pondered this verse, it began, I began to realize why we find it so hard to forgive. Because we're thinking of it not the way Jesus does, but in the wrong ways. So let me share with you several things that forgiveness is not. It is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. When our kids were little, if they hurt someone, we made them go apologize. And so our little one would go to their grandmother, I'm sorry, they would say, usually in a half-hearted voice, to which grandma would reply, it's okay. And I wanted to yell, no, it's not okay. I know he didn't mean it. I saw the look in those demon-possessed eyes when he hit you with your cane. He meant it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say forgiveness means ignoring the fact that I got hurt. Nowhere in the Bible does it say forgive and forget. Jesus did not resurrect from the dead and forget how he got in the tomb. Instead, he held up his hands and showed everyone the wounds. Another thing forgiveness is not. It is not reconciliation. In order for forgiveness to happen, you do not have to go to that person and make the relationship right again. Now, we often want that to happen, and that's often a good thing to happen, but that is not, and we could, and we, and we could even do a whole series on that, but it is not a requirement for reconciliation, or for uh, forgiveness. Reconciliation is a two-player game. It takes both parties' cooperation to have reconciliation. And if you make reconciliation a condition for forgiveness, you've just made yourself hostage to the person who hurt you. No. Forgiveness is a one-player game. It's what I decide regardless of what you do. I don't have to wait for you to say sorry. Here's another thing forgiveness is not. It is not about doing what's fair. Don't we hear people complain about this all the time? They say, almost in a whine, that's not fair. But hey, you don't want to do fair. I don't want to do fair. Because if I have to do fair, I have to pay for all of the things I did wrong. There is nothing fair about Jesus paying the price for my mistakes. The author C.S. Lewis put it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. Don't go down the route of what they deserve. Forgiveness is not about giving somebody what they deserve. It's about giving them what they need. Thank you, God, for not giving me what I deserve, but giving me what I need.
And this one is probably the biggest misunderstanding about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not impossible to do. But it's so easy for us to fall for the lie that my hurt is different. I can't forgive them for that. Yes, you can. Maybe you've seen this verse before. I can do everything. You can forgive if you go to the one who gives you strength. My job this morning is to show you where that strength comes from. Think about it. Where does Christ's strength come from? I hear your thoughts. God. Christ's strength comes from God. Okay, yes. Where does God's strength come from? The strength of God comes from putting aside your hurt, your anger, the situation, the other person, and putting your trust and faith in him. The closer I get to God, he gives me capacity, abilities that I didn't have before. You'll find yourself saying, I didn't know I could forgive like that. Now, I'm hoping you're to the point where you're saying, okay, Jim, I'm in. I want to get this weight off my back. I want to forgive, but I don't know how. If that's where you are, I've got three steps for you to follow. You're going to think I'm crazy, but they work. You will never understand the power of these three steps until you try them. Step one, pray for them. Pray for them. Some of you are saying, I already pray for the person who hurt me. I pray for their physical fitness every single day. God, please give them four flat tires so they have to walk to work. Not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Jesus said this, You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you to take it up a notch. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What does that mean, Jim? That means that you actively say, Lord, I ask that you do a work in their life. I ask that you heal that person who hurt me. I pray that they be close to you, Lord. Their life might never change because of your prayers, but I guarantee yours will. It's impossible to hate somebody you are praying for. So praying for them, like taking a weight out of your pack. Jesus didn't stop there. He had another step for us to take. Bless them. Write this down in the margin of your notes. To bless means to speak well of. So that means I won't say anything bad about the person who hurt me. Not publicly or privately. I will not speak a curse on them. Instead, I will speak well of my enemies. Here's the verse. I tell you who hear me. Jesus knew not everyone was ready to hear him. But for those who did have ears to hear him, he said, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless them, don't curse them, and pray for those who mistreat you. Romans puts it this way. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Every time I bless the person who hurt me, I take a weight out of my pack. Jesus gave us another instruction. Notice we went from passively praying for the person to actively blessing the person, but this third one is going to be the most challenging. The third is to do good to them. Not only am I going to pray for them and bless them, I'm going to look for some way that I can do something good for them unexpected. Check this out in Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for the evil they did to you. Don't do something against them. In fact, find something right to do, something everyone would agree is right, and as much as you can control, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, including the person who hurt you. Do not take revenge. In fact, the Bible says we need to leave room for God's wrath. So instead of complaining, that's not fair, recognize God's going to take care of it. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. God's saying, I'll take care of it. I've got your back. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, your role in this is, if they're hungry, go to the store and get them some food. If they're thirsty, get them some cold water. Serve them, and if you do, you will heap burning coals on their heads. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, let them burn. Not what I mean. Okay. What I mean is that your generosity to the person who hurt you is going to be way more powerful than anything mean you could do to that person. The author goes on to put it this way, and this is probably the most important verse. Mark this one as a life verse. You will never be able to overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. When something bad happens to me, I need to turn it around and do something good for the person who hurt me. That's how I take another weight out of my pack. There you have it. The three steps to forgiveness. But Jim, you don't know what that person did to me. But Jim, you don't know how much that hurt. Nice idea, Jim, but I could never forgive. I told you, you will not know the power of these three steps until you try them. This is best-selling author and popular speaker Joyce Meyer. And she has a, pop, a, um, a powerful story that I want to share with you this morning. I was sexually, mentally, emotionally, and verbally abused by my father as far back as I can remember until I finally left home at age 18. Abuse means to be misused, used improperly, to be used up, or to be wasted. To use in such a way as to cause harm or damage Never before in all the years of talking about this have I ever used the word rape. And when I first said it, 
about three weeks ago preparing for this, it sounded so violent, even to me, because I always said sexual abuse. But I really believe that God put this in my heart because I do think that we've gotten anesthetized to the word sexual abuse. And literally what he did was he raped me. And he did it every week, at least once a week, until the time I was 18. That woman had every right to be angry. And she was for a long time. She was angry at her father for what he did. She was angry at her mother for letting it happen. And it wasn't until she started growing closer to God that she realized she needed to forgive her parents. She prayed for them. She reopened communication with them. And think about this. She built them a house right next door to hers and took care of them until God took them. She used the three steps and it let her forgive. God had a plan. And I cannot explain this to you, so don't even ask me to. But for years I said, of course, I wish that I would have never been abused. But God has helped me recover. And about three years ago, I said that, but of course, I wish I wouldn't have been abused. And God stopped me, said, stop saying that. And then I, I thought about it and I thought, <laughs> and I know this sounds crazy. But I'm glad it happened. You know why? Because I'm a better person now than I ever would have been. I don't know how to make any sense out of that, but I know that I know that I know that God has redeemed me. And he has taken what Satan meant for harm and worked it out for good. And I'm a better person than I would have been had it not happened. Forgiveness is for you. It wasn't until after Joyce forgave her parents that she started to realize how God was going to use her experience to be a blessing to others, to be an inspiration to us. What inspires people to take these three steps to forgive? I think it's this verse. Jesus gave this instruction to his disciples and he gives it to us. Freely you have received forgiveness. Freely you should give forgiveness. Think about this. I will never have to forgive anyone more than God has forgiven me. You will never, ever have to forgive anyone more than God has forgiven you. I want to leave you with this one principle. Please write it down. The forgiven forgive. When we take the weights out of our pack, we find the things we've lost. We find the light that pierces the darkness. Forgiveness is not about what it does for the 
other person. It's about taking the burden off of yourself and finding peace. It's exhausting to carry around these hurts all the time. Think about how much more energy you could have, how much more happiness you could have in your life if you just drop the pack. But every day, someone is going to try to put another weight back in your 